So today uh, we start a new series called Open Handed. Um, so for the next two weeks, we're going to take a look at what Jesus said about money and possessions. And I'll be honest with you, I said to the Lord as I was preparing for this, God, I don't really want to talk about this. <laughs> this isn't really, I want to talk about prayer and I want to talk about worship and I want to talk about, you know, all of these kind of romantic things. And, and, and um, what Jesus said to me was, I didn't dodge this touchy topic. And so you can either. <laughs> and I said, okay, Lord. And so here I am, your obedient servant, uh, just coming to you. And as I was researching and, and as I was um, looking into uh, just all of the ways and the teachings in the scripture about our wealth and our um, possessions, I understand why Jesus felt that how we view our wealth, how we view what we have is too important. It's too powerful to neglect or ignore. And so I come to you this morning actually encouraged. Um, I was excited. I got an email this week from some one of you and you said, I can't wait for the series on tithing. And you just, I read that email like three or four times this week because I thought they must all feel this way right? That's what I thought. Okay. So in fact, um, as I read through the scripture, how we handle our money as believers in Jesus is actually a test. It's a test of our loyalty. It's a test of our allegiance. It's a test of who our heart belongs to. It's not a test that uh, is weighed laterally. People next to you, other humans cannot judge you for this, what you decide to do. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so what I felt the Holy Spirit told me as I was kind of lamenting to him about the topic is we can learn how to be people who powerfully pray. We can, we can learn how to be people who radically worship. We can be people who share our faith with those who don't know Jesus. We can learn how to study the Bible. We can learn how to pronounce every Hebrew word perfectly. But if we do all of these things flawlessly, but we are not generous and consistent, we are still missing what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And so this is a really important part of our walk with Christ. And it's not how much money you have, but what you do with it that matters. It's not how much money you have, but what you do with it that matters. I want to start in Luke 18, when Jesus told this story about a rich young ruler. And, and this young man came to him. You, you may have heard this story before. And he says, how do I get eternal life? And he was used to pretty much um, buying or bribing everything that he wanted in his life because he had a lot of money. And Jesus quoted the scripture. He said, don't steal, don't murder, don't lie, etc." And the man said, I've been good. I've done all those things. I've kept all those things even since I was a boy. And I want to pick up in verse 22 and 23. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I love how Jesus so masterfully puts his finger right on the spot on issue. And he reminds this man that keeping a bunch of religious rules won't fill the emptiness of his soul. Keeping a bunch of religious rules will not get him into the kingdom of God. Only a relationship with Jesus will and a relationship where you put Jesus first. 
a relationship where you put Jesus first. And so this man didn't just own riches. His riches owned him. And Jesus saw that. And so Jesus said, what you own is keeping you from serving me wholeheartedly. And the Bible captions his life in four words. He became very sad. He became very sad. Because he knew that it would be a sacrifice, that it would be very, a huge sacrifice for him to get to the place where Jesus would be first in his life. And the thing is, I got to think in this rich young ruler eventually became a rich old ruler. <laughs> That's how, how life happens. And until the day he died, he must have remembered the words of Jesus. Come follow me. All you have to do is lay it all down. All you have to do is open your hands and let your grip go on all of your possessions and all of your wealth. But he remained, as far as we know, very, very sad because he would not do that. I want to focus our study primarily today on a passage we find in Malachi 3. So if you have your Bible or you want to open to it, and um, we're actually jumping in the middle of the story. Uh, we're turning on the movie in the middle, if you will. And so I want to just give us some context of what's happening in Malachi 3. Um, so Malachi is a prophet. He's addressing a nation of people who are rebelling against God. He, he is sent to the people out of God's great love for this nation. God loves these people. And so he sends Malachi as a prophet. And he says, go and give them these warnings. Tell them what they're doing, that they need to adjust, that they need to align. And, and Malachi gives three primary speeches in, in the, the book. First, he talks about the people's relationship to God and how that needs to be set right and, and be be proper and make sure that they're repenting and, and that they're having relationship with God. And then he talks about their relationship with each other and the, and the social justices, that, that they, their social responsibility and, and the way that they should treat each other. And then he talks about the third speech. He, it centers around their economic responsibility, their relationship to their possessions or their relationship to their wealth. And so even the content of this book, I think, is God making a statement He's saying that the way that we will um, continue to keep God at the center of our lives is to make sure that we have right relationship with God, with each other, and with our stuff. And so he's, he's making a point even as he puts the content of this book together. And so we're reading here in Malachi 3, we're, we're right in the middle of the speech about the economic responsibility, the relationship that the people should have with their possessions and their wealth. So in verse 6, Malachi 3, 6, God says, Return to me and I will return to you. And the people ask, well, how do we return? Now, you may read that, if you don't know the context, you may read that as sort of an innocent question or an eager question. Well, how do we return? But actually, it was, it was in a reluctant or, or a resistant tone. Because what happened is the covenant was to trust and obey God. And, and the covenant was, this is how you return to me. God had, God had spelled it out pretty clearly. And so the tone of the moment is actually a stubborn tone. The people are like, how do we return to God? How do we do that? We never even left you. I don't know why, I don't know why things aren't right. We, we haven't done anything wrong. That, that sort of, like, think like angsty teenager vibe, Okay. Nobody has any of those. Okay, there's no angsty teenagers out there, but, uh, you know, think of that. That's the vibe. And so the Lord says, okay, let me give you some examples. 
Let me give you some examples of repentance that the Israelites need to apply. And he gets specific. And one of the examples he uses is that by withholding tithes and offerings that were in the covenant, the people had robbed God. We see this in verses 8 and 9. Let's read it together. It says, uh, or I'll read it to you. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And this is God responding, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, the people find this image sort of absurd, you know, to rob someone, you have to be stronger and smarter than them. And, and so, and so they're, they're a little bit taken aback by, what do you mean we're robbing you? That doesn't even make sense. You're God, we can't, we can't rob you. And God says, well, you are because I have made a covenant with you and I've told you, I've commanded you to do this and you haven't given your tithes and your offerings, and you are now binding up your ability for me to come near to you. It's all about relationship. It doesn't have anything to do about the money. God doesn't need the money. But God wants a relationship with the people, and so he says, you need to get this right, because you're withholding your selfishness is keeping you tight-fisted, and I'm unable to return to you. So let's look at verses 10 through 12. So this is what God continues to say. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all of the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. In these verses, God offers the people a dare. God offers the people a dare. And I believe that this extends to us today. That God says, if we will remain open-handed, he will bless abundantly. That if we will remain open-handed, he will bless abundantly. And in fact, that's the takeaway today. That's what I want you to leave here, remembering what I said. The thing I want you to share and repeat and remember what you talk about at lunch today is if we will remain open-handed, he will bless abundantly. In this scripture, God challenges us. He, he says, prove, help, he, he wants us to prove that he says what he means. And he says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing until you cannot contain it. Now, normally God does not invite us to test him, okay? So don't apply this rule to everything. In fact, scripture contains some really strong rebukes in situations where God's people put him to the test. In Psalm 95, it talks about a generation that actually had died in the wilderness. And, and the scripture says that God warns his people, don't imitate them because they tested me and then I loathed them. <laughs> he said, I loathe their generation because they kept putting me to the test. But it, it sounds like risky business to test God, to, to take him up on a dare. But in this particular passage, God is specifically saying, test me in this promise. Test me in this promise. So let's look a little closer at, at this dare, this test that, that God talks about. And I think it involves a few things that are really important to remember uh, if we're going to apply this passage to our, to our lives. And the first is, the dare involves upfront faith. The dare involves upfront faith. God is saying, you begin to give first, and then 
I'll pour out the blessings in response. It is very specific who does the first move. I think we often say to the Lord, how about you bless me first and then I'll give it. (laughs) I mean, just fill up my bank account. It'll be easy to give away. Just help me get that bonus at work and then I'll tithe on it. But right now, I mean, I just don't have very much. We just say, God, give, give it to us first and then we'll give it back to you. But it doesn't work that way. It reminds me of Peter walking on the water and how he had to get out of the boat. He couldn't like put one leg over and see like, is it solid? <laughs> you know, he had to get out both feet and then he had to walk across the water. He couldn't test it first. It was all or nothing. And God asks us to give to him up front, off the top. Each of us should determine by faith and by prayer a pre-planned amount that God wants us to give on a systematic, regular basis. And, and we should not buy everything we need and then give God the leftover. That isn't what the dare is about. If we do that, we aren't coming into the conditions of the dare. And so we can't expect him to pour out what, he, what he's saying, to pour out the blessing. We must trust him by giving off the top of our income. And, I, and that's risky. I mean, what if we give at the start of the month and our refrigerator breaks? Or what if we give at the start of the month and our car has trouble and we come up short at the end of the month? In fact, couldn't that be seen as sort of irresponsible? that we aren't building in some, some type of cushion in case we need it. I read about a man who was having trouble with this concept, and, and this story just changed, changed my thinking. He had been taught tithing. He'd been taught tithing 10%, so he said to his pastor, I don't know how I can give 10% to the church when I can't even pay the bills at home, which is a genuine concern. And, and the pastor said, okay, if I promise to make up the difference if you fall short, would you try to give 10% for just one month? And the man thought about it for a moment. He said, you know what, pastor? I know you're a good man. You have integrity. Yeah, I'll do that. And the pastor said, so you say that you'd be willing to trust a mere man like me that possesses so little materially, but you cannot trust your heavenly father who owns the universe. (laughs) And from that day on, that man tied 10% and never missed a beat, could pay every single bill. And I thought to myself, I, I believe that God is speaking to some of you in this room right now that you've had that same story that you have thought you wish you could give, you wish you could, you could be a regular tither, but you feel like you don't know how you would do it because your bills are gonna come up short. But God is speaking to you right now and he's not talking to you about money, he's talking to you about trusting him. And he's saying that there are other things in your life There are other things in your life that you need to trust him with, but you're never going to get to those other things until you can physically trust him that he will provide for you. And so he's asking you to take a significant risk. Upfront giving is risky because it requires faith, but God's dare exposes our lack of faith. It's interesting because Malachi was preaching to these kind of comfortable cultural believers a lot like us at times. 
And, and, and they were grumbling against God in their circumstances. They were, they, were, they, they were thinking, well, this isn't as pleasant as I hoped. We don't have as much as we thought. All the promises about this glorious future for Israel hadn't come to pass. And so, and so they're still under this foreign domination. The crops are all that great. And so they're grumbling and they're grumbling and they're grumbling. And whenever we grumble about our circumstances, we're really grumbling against the God who ordains and controls our circumstances. And they were blaming God for not blessing them. They were blaming God for not blessing them. But God replies and he puts the blame where it belongs. And he says, listen, this is happening because you don't trust me. If you would have trusted me and give as you should, test me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't bless you until you cannot hold anymore. And so if you are holding back on giving to the Lord today until he blesses you or you're grumbling about your financial situation, you, you've got it backwards because we need to give generously by faith off the top and God will bless you. That's what the scripture says. All right, secondly, the dare um, it involves honoring God's priorities. The dare involves honoring God's priorities. Now, God only designed one system for financing his work on earth. One system. And it is the generous, open-hearted, open-handed gifts of his people. When Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and at the end of the gospel era, he set in motion the greatest mission and the greatest enterprise the world would ever known. In this mission, this would be a channel for the whole world to eventually hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for generations. And how is this enterprise going to be funded? All the business people in the, in the congregation say to the Lord, how is this to be funded? How is this going to be financed? And the Bible only ever gives us one plan, and that plan is you, and that plan is me. And he says, I'm going to give my people a regular income so that they can give a portion of that income back to finance my global work. And that is the only system he has ever devised for supporting his great plan on this earth. And when we don't contribute it, we literally hinder God's work on earth. When we don't contribute to the plan, when we don't fall under his master plan, we literally hinder God's work on earth. The church is God's house, and Christ loved the church and, and gave himself for it. And the church is God's plan for people to come into saving relationship with him, and the church is God's priority. And if it's God's priority, then it has to be ours. And this part I didn't want to say, but the Lord is you know, arguing with me right now. But if we spend more on entertainment or our pets or our vacation than we give to fulfill the Great Commission, then our priorities are upside down. And we are not seeking first his kingdom. And so if we will give open-handed to God's priorities... He will bless us abundantly. He will bless us abundantly. All right, thirdly, uh, the dare involves radical generosity. Radical generosity, which is also a core value here at, at Erie First. But in Malachi 3, 
When God presents this dare to his people, he uses that word tithe, bring the whole tithe. And tithing uh, refers to giving a tenth of one's income. That's what actually the word tenth means. And in Genesis 14, all the way back in the very beginning of the scripture, Abraham was the first to um, practice this kind of giving. In the Old Testament, the tithe is referenced many times in relationship to giving a tenth of produce of the Lord. Uh, whatever you comes out of your field, you take off the, the tenth of it, the first tenth, and you bring it in um, for the priests, and you give it from your fields and your vineyards. And then in the New Testament, um, this was affirmed, this practice was affirmed. It was not a law to be obeyed, but it was a pattern to be followed. And so tithing, or 10%, is a starting point for giving to God's work. That's what we see in the scripture. Now, in both the Old and the New Testament, tithing is a habitual practice. It, it's something we, we don't do randomly or occasionally. It's this action. It, it's, it's something you do in the natural that, that reminds you of your priority in the supernatural. It's something you do in the natural that reminds you of your priority in the supernatural. And it, it gives you an opportunity to declare every time you get income who it belongs to and who your life belongs to. It's an opportunity I've been part of conversations where some people have, have questions, and actually Pastor Steve next week is going to talk even more in depth about this, but, but they ask things like, do I tithe on my gross or my net? Um, do I tithe on my income tax check, or is that, is that just like all mine, that one? Do I, is that the one that just has my name on it? Um, is the tithe really a New Testament principle, or is it left over from the Old Testament? Maybe we don't have to do it anymore. Um, Here's my answer to all of that. Ask Steve, but <laughs> uh, here's the answer. If we want to be recipients of what God is promising, okay? If we want to be recipients of this dare that we're reading in the scripture, then we need to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and this dare involves radical generosity, would you ask Jesus if you should tithe on your gross or your net? Okay, just think about that moment there. Jesus, who, who only talked about tithing twice in the New Testament, but you know what he talked about instead of tithing? He talked about radically, incredibly, generously giving it all. He, he, he didn't stop at 10% or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. He said, give it all. Give it all away. Give everything that you have. In 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 3, we see this early church that exemplified this radical generosity. And you could read more about it there, but I want to read to us just these verses. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, so they were going through something very difficult, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so this early church, the ones that had an encounter with Jesus, these believers begged for an opportunity to be generous. Oh, pastor, please give us one more thing to give to. We're so excited about the tithing series. <laughs> That's what they were saying. 
They weren't stuck or caught up in the logistics or the calculations of 10% or what percent is mine and what percent is yours. And like our lives, our money is not our own. Every penny belongs to the Lord, and there is no contract between you and God that says he gets 10 and you get 90. He owns 100%. He gave it all to us, and he graciously enables us to steward it. And he may ask you to give above and beyond 10%. But if we will remain open-handed, he will bless abundantly. I believe that we get to choose we get to choose tight-fisted with what God has given us, forfeits the blessing. If our hands are closed tight around our stuff or, or our possessions or our things, we can't receive anything else. You can't take anything else when your hands are, are clenched so tight. Or we can be open-handed as we freely give. And God says that, that as we give, he will fill our hands up with more than we can even carry. And if we will remain open-handed, he will bless us abundantly. I, I can't wait to get to heaven and see how the Lord has used the, the money that we've been able to invest through the years in his kingdom. But I have a feeling that when we get to finally see that we will all wish we had done even more. Because everything we give to advance God's kingdom lasts forever. And everything we use here goes away. So would you stand this morning? I'm going to pray for us. And as you stand, would you just grab, if you got this thing here on your way in, I just want to show you we just included a, a list of ways you can give. We want to make it simple. We want to make it streamlined for you so you can give as the Lord prompts you. Um, we really encourage you as a leadership team to automate your giving um, because oftentimes, and this is a tool we have in 2019 that helps you make sure you're prioritizing off the top. And so please consider the options. Of course, you can do whatever's best for you, but um, there's just all kinds of options there and assistance. And, and we want to just make sure that we give you a clear pathway as God prompts you um, to give. Also, we know that technology can be equally tricky as helpful, right? Like it's great until it's not great at all. And so um, for this week and for next Sunday uh, at the Next Step Center, right out here in the lobby, we're going to have a help desk. And so if you need help, if you're confused about how to set up online or recurring gifts or there's some wacky charge coming in or whatever it is, uh, Pastor Steve will be out there today. Actually, you can ask him any questions you have about the technology part of it or giving at all. If you have any questions, you can go back there and that'll be there for next week too if you want to come with questions. So let me pray for us this morning. And if you would, would you just put your hands like this, like you're being open-handed if you feel comfortable Father God, we come to you this morning as a congregation. We ask that you would help us be open-handed. God, that you would even, you would do what it takes, Lord, that, that you would even pry our fingers off of some of the control we want to have on the wealth and the possessions, God, that you've given us. But Father, we want to do it because it's important to you, because it's a marker and a test of our heart and who it belongs to. And so, God, this week, I pray that you would prompt us to give radically, that you would prompt us to give generously, Father God that you would prompt us to give toward your kingdom. Lord, that you would show us um, the, the effect that it has on our spiritual life. God, that we could be powerful prayers, radical worshipers, and just incredible givers, God. That you would help us live out the fully devoted life of a Christian. 
God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the kingdom you're building in the supernatural, God, with, with, with the natural money that we can invest in it. Lord, we love you. I love these people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.